come back to our study in the book of Revelation of seven churches that Jesus spoke to. Seven churches and seven cities in Asia Minor that Jesus chose and picked out, possibly because of he gave the revelation to John who had overseen that area. He was the pastor of the Ephesus church and perhaps that knowledge that John had, God used that as he spoke and uh, he gave seven messages. We've been looking at the seven messages. Where are we at Mifflinburg in the message that Jesus would say to us? And where are we in the seven churches? I've always believed that in each of those seven stories, those seven churches, God says something to us today wherever we are at. I certainly feel that way about the two churches we're going to look at this morning. Like each of them, Mifflinburg is a candlestick, a lampstand. And Jesus is watching over us and He cares about us and He's involved with us. Jesus is speaking and it's up to us to be listening to what Jesus says to us. And if you desire to be a a follower of Jesus, listen to these stories. God may speak to you about something in your heart, in your life, in your perspective. Our look today is at Churches number 5 and 6. Their names are Sardis and Philadelphia. And they're two churches that have quite a bit of contrast to them. You might say they're opposites. Not completely. They had some things in common. But the major theme of Sardis and Philadelphia are very different than each other. I'd like to read both of them together here. In Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, I'm going to read through verse 13. Listen to the contrast of how Jesus saw the people in these churches. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen What remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and His angels. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the church, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These are the words of Him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. When He opens... What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you 
from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want to start today by saying that Jesus said the same introductory words to both churches. Obviously, they're very different. One church Jesus is deeply concerned about their lives and their witness. And, and it would seem like Jesus is saying your, your candlestick is about to go out. The other church also is having a difficult time, but for different reasons. Their candlelight is not going out, though they are weak in some ways. But the thing that Jesus says to both of them, as he introduces his words, is, I know your deeds. Interesting. I know your deeds. One translation says, I know your works. Another one says, I know your actions. I know who you are. I know what you are. I know the motive of your heart. I know what you really believe deep on the inside and how that belief affects how you live and your life. He says to both churches, and again, one is weak and one is strong, but he says to both of them, I know your deeds. In fact, Jesus used that term in most of the churches. And at the beginning, I emphasized how important it is for us to remember that Jesus sees us. He walks among the candlesticks. The verse says in the early chapter, He is walking among you and me and watching and listening. To one of the churches, He speaks words of rebuke. To the other one, he speaks words of encouragement and affirmation. The first one, the church at Sardis. Even at this time in their history, this once strong, wealthy city was in decline. It was once thought to be big and strong and safe from enemy attack because of how it was located and where it was built and its geography around it. But over time, the people of Sardis had become overconfident. And according to the historian's story, they thought that their city could never be captured by an invading army. And its overconfidence led to it being less concerned about and less careful and less prepared about attack from the outside. And sure enough, it happened to them. And after that time period, the city just went into decline. One historian called Sardis an arrogant place. Another one described Sardis with the word lazy. They had become lazy in Sardis. This is the city. And it seems like the church has followed the same pattern of the city around it. Sardis seems to be a place that was affected by the general laziness and inattentiveness that their people had about their safety and their city. But the church seems to have fallen into that too. So much that Jesus uses a strong word when he describes the church at Sardis. There's no other way to say it. Jesus said, 
The church is dead. The church is dead. You have a reputation, Jesus said, to be alive. People that are on the outside look at you and think you're fine. But I know that really deep down, you're dead spiritually. I imagine these words of Jesus must have hit pretty hard the people at Sardis when they received the report. They certainly would hit any church hard. You have a reputation. Somehow the church at Sardis had this this outward appearance of being alive spiritually. Something about them looked good on the outside. Their appearance. Maybe how they did church or how they did life, how they did ministry. Seemed to the people on the outside that they were strong. They had a reputation. But of course we know Jesus always sees deeper than the external of who we are. He sees the good and the bad deep within us. The struggles that we feel spiritually. The the struggles that we feel theologically. The struggles that we feel with, with how we view God and how we view life. How we view the church. How we, how we view the Bible. And our choice of faith. Jesus sees the choice and the level of faith inside of you. And he gives a warning to the church at Sardis. I, I, I'm going to paraphrase. Jesus said, I'm concerned about you. You look good on the outside, but deep down, you don't look so good. You don't look very strong. In fact, you look dead. The outward appearance was of strength. But within the church at Sardis, uh, most of the people apparently, not all the people as he will say, but most of the people at the church at Sardis, number five in the row, they were shallow. They were unfocused. They were lazy. Jesus always sees the motive inside. Jesus looks past the external things that we are and he he looks down into who we really are and he warns this church, those that are dead. I believe this was a church that started well. They had a good reputation. They had a lot of ministry. They had a lot going for them that people would look at them and think, oh, that's a great church. Trying to translate that today and how we might look at each other. I mean, I know we're taking one situation and drawing from it ideas and thoughts. And it's what I'm doing here. But it's probably the same thing that I feel sometimes when I hear about the church in wherever. Cape May, New Jersey. And I know somebody there. And I hear things. And I got this, I got this idea of what the church is. It might not be anything like that at all. But I have an idea. And you have an idea of of this church. You have an idea of the church down the street. The Baptist in town and freedom and the assemblies and whoever, wherever. Harvest, uh, Catholic, uh, the Methodist. See, we all have an idea of what churches are. Sometimes we might be accurate and sometimes we might not be at all. Jesus knows who they are. 
But even more important, Jesus knows who you are and who I am. He knows this church. And so the words that I feel that we should focus on when we're reading these churches and thinking about them is, God, Jesus, what are you saying to me about who I am? Is there any part of Sardis in me? Is there anything that Jesus would say? He who hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Jesus tells them to wake up. Pretty clear. Wake up. Wake up infers that that's another word, maybe not as strong as dead, but they're sleeping. They're not attentive. They're not ready. They need to sit up. They need to start listening. They need to take note. They need to stand up. Jesus sees what's on the inside. He sees the outside too. And he says, I want to say something about your deeds. I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Of course, we only speculate what that meant. A lot of this we, we draw again from it. Deeds unfinished. Maybe at some time, their faith translated much deeper into meeting the needs of people around them. Maybe at one time their faith was deep enough that it carried them through hard times without them losing their way spiritually, losing their hope. I don't know exactly what it was that was unfinished about the deeds of Sardis. I do know that I feel a lot of times that so many people in the church give so much, their time, their energy their love, their focus. And then sometimes I look around and I think, are we all giving it all, our all? Is the church important enough? Is Christ's church important enough for us to finish the deeds? Whatever they are. Again, I don't know exactly what was going on in Sardis. But this scripture, I say, well, what does it say to me, Sardis? It says to me, that Jesus is talking something about how we put into practice what we say we believe about the kingdom of God and about the church and about serving others. I mean, the word deeds here works. I said it's, it's, uh, it's translated several ways, but every way indicates that there's some kind of response to needs out there that God wants for His people. Apparently in Sardis, they had kind of lost that desire to, to meet needs, whatever they are. Your deeds, Jesus said, are unfinished. And so he uses three words to, to, to remind them of the need to consider. The first one is the word remember. Remember what you had at one point. Remember who you were. Remember your passion. Remember your attitude. Remember back to the very best spiritually. Remember. Remember what you've received, Jesus says. Remember that you've received the, the grace of God. And he uses the word hold. Hold fast to it. 
Go back to the beginning and remember. And grab hold of that again. Remember. Hold. And the third word he uses here is the word that he used also in the church at Ephesus. He called the church at Sardis to repent. Turn around. Get a hold of something. Remember and turn around and begin to do the things that you once did. And he says, do it before it's too late. I mean, Jesus knows what happens spiritually when, when we don't do what God prompts us to do. We become cold. We become unconnected. We feel like, I haven't heard from God in a long time. And so Jesus said to the church at Sardis, before it's too late, before you lose it completely, one of the good things about feeling guilty, if you want to use that word, is that it tells you that you're not quite completely dead yet. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. It's God giving you another opportunity. It's God prompting you. It's God saying to you, listen, you know what I'm saying is true, or you you know part of it is true, or you, you know there's truth in it. And so I just stop here and talk about the Holy Spirit for a moment and say how important it is for us all to be connected to listening to that Holy Spirit of God. And when He speaks to you, it's because He loves you. I mean, Jesus loved this church. In some ways, Jesus is very hard on this church. His words are strong. It's because He loves the church. He loves you. He is calling us to remember, to hold on to, and to repent before it's too late. Before you you lose your desire to do what's right. Before you lose God's presence. Before nothing really affects you anymore spiritually. Before you lose your conscience. Before you look back and think, what I had and what I was and now look at me. Jesus says to the church at Sardis, remember, hold, and repent. Jesus also says very clearly for the church at Sardis, but that's not all of you. Some of you are still very faithful, and it's always been that way. In this church at Sardis, there were the faithful, and there were what I call the lazy, the inattentive. And Jesus simply says to them, that I'm watching over you too. And I know where you're at. I know what you have dealt with. And I am not, I have not left you, but I'm with you. To the faithful, Jesus speaks to the church at Sardis too. Don't think because Jesus speaks words of rebuke to churches that he doesn't also speak words to say, hey, you're doing well, you're doing all right. And I see you. Sometimes when preachers preach, it's just one or the other, and it depends which day you you hit, but this one has both. It has both a strong rebuke, but also a strong praise. And he praises those that are faithful. And so if you're in that category today that you're serving God according to the best you know how to, and 
you're doing your best and you don't know how other people see it anyway. I mean, just like the opposite of kind of the other side of it, you might be doing your best and people don't know who you are or how you're trying or, or your efforts or anything like that. Take, take solace from, from the church at Sardis. God knows who you are. He knows what you're doing to serve him. He knows. He weighs those things. He knows that. He's the perfect judge. I mean, we can wonder about each other, and we do, but he's the perfect judge. He's the one that watches. And to those that are being lazy, if I can use that term, he's saying, repent, turn around. But those that are being faithful, he says, I'm watching out for you. And he says in so many beautiful ways here how he is rewarding the faithful. And he's watching over the faithful. He uses terms that we're not so familiar with, but we understand in the context when it was written, they make more sense. One is the white robe. He says that I will give you a white robe. Uh, Purity, inclusion, family. He says, I'm watching you. You're not going to get away from my sight. You're not getting away from me. I, I see you. I know where you're at. And then he talks about the crown of life. We think about the meaning and the importance, the specialness of the crown of life. Of course, in that day where every kingdom had a king and, uh, and, and kingdoms were described throughout the Bible, that symbol and that meaning of eternity is so special. But just think about the crown of life, if you would, for a moment today. Whatever that is. There's 5,000 pictures of the crown of life drawn by different artists on the internet. I don't know what the crown of life looks like. I don't know if it's big or small or bright or dull or has many gems on it or one. I don't know. But it's a crown and it's a contrast to the crown of thorns. And Jesus says here, for those that are faithful, I will give the crown of life. Whatever that means, it's special and it's precious. And he also talks about here something else that's beautiful, the book of life. The book of life. I know you've heard that term before. You may have heard it, the Lamb's book of life. You knew it was in the book of Revelation and has to do with the final judgment. When the final judgment comes and we stand before God and he opens the book. Several descriptions of judgment in in the book of Revelation. But one of them is he will look to see if our name is in the book of life. Someday we're going to stand before God the Father and He's going to, or I don't know how He's going to do it, but I just, how I imagine it, I've seen it portrayed. It may or may not be that way, but somehow we're going to all come before God. The Father will be seated on the throne of heaven. I don't know if He's going to look at us or He's going to talk to us or He's going to ask us. He's going to open the book. And then, according to the Scripture, Jesus is going to stand up. Their name is in the book of life. Or their name is not in the book of life. You know that several places in the Bible talk about the book of life. Not just the book of Revelation. When we were were looking back in the book of Daniel, for example. The book of life. The book of life is precious. It's good to once in a while be reminded of that and hold on to that. So today, I just thought kind of as a little bit of a part of what I want to say today, I just wanted to remind you about the importance and the meaning of the book of life. It is precious. It is not just a symbol. 
But every indication in the Bible, it is a literal something that God has and somehow is recorded in His book, whether it's physically or spiritually, I don't know, is the name of every true believer. And Jesus speaks about that book of life. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. Jesus says it in so many ways. I will never blot out that name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and His angels. Again, that's the idea that that comes from, and it is portrayed by some people. There's the book, and when it's time, Jesus will stand up and speak up for you and for me. He knows our faith. He knows our heart. And so it's so important to know that your name is in that book. It is so important to know beyond a shadow of a doubt your name is in that book because if you don't know if your name is in that book, there's a good chance it's not. The way that your name is in the book is that you give your heart to Jesus and say, I want to be a Christian. I want to take that promise of God for salvation and ask Him to forgive me for my sins. Again, it's the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb, the Lamb who died on the cross. So the way to know that your name is in that book is that your faith reaches out and accepts Jesus for who He is and asks Jesus to be the Lord of your life. The book of life. It's so important for you I want to say today is your name in the Lamb's book of life. Your name can be written there. God is listening, as I've said before, and watching over your life and your faith and your actions. Uh, We read in the Bible, in the book of Psalms, in the book of Daniel, we talked about when we read Daniel. Daniel talked about the book of life, which is the forerunner of the book of Revelation. In Daniel chapter 12, he mentions everyone whose name is written in the book of life. I mean, that's not a new teaching at the end of time in the book of Revelation. That's been God's plan from all of eternity. Our names are written in the book of life. Jesus knows that book. The book of life reminds us that eternity is on the way. Eternity is on the way. The book of life just reminds us that there's another life. There's another time. It's not even time. It's eternity. It's eternity forever and ever and ever. And he reminds us that God will reward his people. The book of life is a reminder that God will reward His people. God is watching His people. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God hath prepared for those that love Him. Think of that. The power and the wonder of that book of life. Now let's go on to the church at Philadelphia. The sixth church. A great contrast to the troubled church at Sardis. They did have many things in common. One of them is there are many faithful people in Philadelphia. Except in Philadelphia, most of the people were faithful. In fact, it it would sound like the whole church was healthy. It would seem like in Philadelphia that somehow it's the only one of the seven that Jesus has no rebuke for. 
Well, what's that tell you? We can get it right if we listen to Jesus, if we humble ourselves, if we have an attitude and a spirit that responds to the Holy Spirit as He speaks to us. It's a great contrast to the troubled church. Philadelphia was the called by some and commentators and the faithful church. Go on to that next slide if you would. The faithful church. The only church of the seven that Jesus had only positive things to talk about. He knew. Again, he said the same thing the church at Philadelphia. He said to the church at Sardis, I know your deeds. In this case, they were what he wanted. They had the spirit and the attitude and uh, they had the heart that God wanted for a church. Wouldn't it be a tremendous thing someday to get into heaven and somewhere along the way Jesus talked to us about, you know that church at Mifflinburg that you guys went to one time in your life? Wouldn't it be wonderful if what Jesus said about us was as positive as it was about Philadelphia. <laughs> but he knew that they had problems, but it wasn't the same kind of problems as Sardis and Ephesus and Thyatira and Pergamum. They were weak. They had little strength, Jesus said. Little strength. Again, I'd like to know more what Jesus was saying there. We can only speculate. Was it because they were few in number? I'm not sure. Was it because the pressure was so great on them that they were a tiny lighthouse in the middle of the ocean where they were at? I don't know. Is it that they were doing their very best? Is it that little is much when God is in it? Were they like the the widow who put two mites in the offering, and Jesus said she gave more than everybody else. I don't know. But I know that he looked at the church at Philadelphia, and he said, you have little strength. We know they were under siege, being persecuted by both the Jews and the pagans. Mostly the Jews, as Jesus says here. He calls them again the synagogue of Satan. The Jews were a real problem for the early church. Some of the Jews, and I don't mean all the Jews. I don't mean to oversay that. The resistance to Christianity was strong among the Jews, many of the Jews. Many of them came to faith in Christ. The, the ones that didn't became an, uh, great animosity toward the early church in many of these places. So much so that Jesus calls the second, for the second time he uses this term, the synagogue of Satan. And it was brutal. I've described before some of the pagan uh, persecution against the Jews or against the Christians where the Jews did some pretty horrible things to Christians too at times in the midst of that though Jesus says but you are faithful you are faithful he said even though you, you you're, you're, you're under the gun and you're weak you're still holding on to the things that are true and right. You're not compromising truth to fit in. 
You're not trading comfort for truth. You've been true. You've been faithful. You've been loyal. Praise God for the church at Philadelphia. And Jesus said to them something very special. A number of things, but He said, I am watching over you. I am watching over you. I'm not just watching you, but I'm watching over you. I see what's going on. I see your weakness. I see the persecution. I see what you're dealing with. And Jesus just says to this church, uniquely, and He says some unique things to them, I just want you to know I'm watching over you. So maybe we ought to remember that times when we feel weak. And we feel under stress, or we feel upset, or we feel uncertain. Remember that Jesus is watching over His people. His banner over you is love. From the Old Testament. God's banner flying over your head, you can't see it. That Old Testament prophet gave us that idea. His banner over me is love. Jesus says to the church at Philadelphia, I see you. I love you. There's a banner over your head. I just want you to know. And every time I look out, I see you. There you are. Tough place. But I'm watching for you. And he gives them some incredible promises. He says, I know your deeds. I know you have little strength. But I will be with you. He says about those Synagogue of Satan, they're going to they're gonna bow down to you. That's not going to last forever. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Nobody can take your Christian faith from you. Nobody can beat it out of you. Nobody can criticize you out of you. At school, kids can not see it like you and make fun of you. People in your family can see it different. What faith is and who Jesus is. Nobody can shut the door that Jesus opens. You have to make a choice about your faith and what you believe and what you hold on to. But Jesus promises that church in Philadelphia, nobody can shut the door that I opened. And it's so true about each of us. You're worried somebody's going to take your faith away? Won't happen. You've got to do what... God gives you to do to keep that faith strong, but it's up to you. And Jesus will help you with that. That's what He says to the church. I'm going to make sure that door stays open. I am watching over you. He also says a number of other things of promises to them. One thing He says, I am coming soon. Wow. I don't quite know how to interpret that. That's what he always says, I'm coming soon. He is coming soon. I don't know when. He says, I will make you a pillar in the house of God. I will write on you the name of God. I will give you a new name. Verse 11, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He reminds them, as he said to the church at Sardis, he says the same thing here too. He says, hold on. Hold on to the truth. Hold on to what's right. Don't give it up. And there's going to be a wave of pressure for you to give up your faith. 
Some of you more than others because of where you live and the stuff you put up with and coming your way. No matter who you are, Satan will send you a wave of something to discourage you in your faith. Sometimes it might seem like it comes from the outside and people who are not believers and circumstances. Sometimes it might seem like it comes from people that are within your circle. But Jesus says, hold on. Be encouraged. Know that I am watching over you. I, I am coming soon. No one will be able to take your crown. No one will be able to take your name out of the book. And then there's that great promise of eternity. God's promises are amazing. He gives us the promise of eternity in the, the church at uh, Philadelphia. If we just think about that for a moment. Eternity. Eternity. I know we're all going to cross into eternity. Some soon. Some a long time from now. We're marching toward eternity. Jesus reminds the church at Philadelphia that I will be with you. He said in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. That's a promise of God. When we think about our loved ones who, who pass, who die, we think about the promises of eternity. I think about my friend, my friend from 19 years ago that uh, passed away this past week. Last church I was at. Thinking the sadness for his wife and his kids and all that. And it is. I hope that they can see eternity. Because God is planning something amazing for His people. So as you think about the loss that you've had in your life. Think about the church at Philadelphia and what Jesus says. Oh, oh, Jesus sees you. He knows you. He knows your life. He loves you. His banner over you is love. And He will help you. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown to the church at Philadelphia. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Would you stand, please? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You for these two incredible churches, different, filled with different people. One church was very dead, weak, but Jesus called them to repent. Jesus knew what they needed to do. They needed to remember. They needed to hold on to what was true. And they needed to turn. Turn away from the direction they were going. God help us to hear that message. And I also read in both these churches that Jesus is saying to the faithful, I see you too. I know where you're at and I want to encourage you. Hang in there. I will watch over you. Thank you today, God, that your banner over us is love. 
and you care deeply about the church, all the churches, all the churches in the book of Revelation and all the churches in Mifflinburg today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Next Sunday, uh, the seventh church, the church at Laodicea. Many of you have heard that. And that was a lukewarm church. And Jesus had a strong message the following Sunday, Revival Sunday, with Josh, John Haynes. He'll be here Sunday through Wednesday. I hope you can join us. Thanks for being here today. Have a great day. Bye-bye.